Hello everyone, this is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and welcome to TanakhStudy.com. Today's short reading in Sefer B'midbar constitute verses 14 to 29 of chapter 20. In this section, two main events are narrated. The first is the brief account of Moshe's sending of messengers to the king of Edom, requesting passage through his territory. In spite of Moshe's pleas, the messengers are rebuffed, and the people of Israel are forced to travel around the land of Edom. The second section describes Aharon's death at Mount Hor on the border of the land of Edom. Both of these events take place in the same geographic area. Recall that last time Moshe and Aharon had struck the rock at Meimeriva. Meimeriva was located at Kadesh Midbartzin. According to the ancient Targumim, Kadesh Midbartzin is synonymous with a place called Rechem, what we know today as Petra. This location is midway between Eilat to the south and to the north, the bottom southern tip of the Dead Sea. We begin with verse number 14. Moshe sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all of the tila'ah, all of the difficulty and travail which we have experienced. In this passage, Moshe refers to the people of Israel as achicha, as the brethren of Edom, recalling the ancient bonds between the two peoples. Esav was Yaakov's brother. Esav relocated to Edom and was known as Edom and his descendants as the Adomim. At the same time, Moshe refers to the experiences of the people of Israel as Tila'ah, this word means travail or difficulty, but the root, lamed alef hay, has to do with weariness and exhaustion. Moshe is essentially saying, we have had a very long journey through the wilderness, through the desert, inhospitable and bereft of people. Please show your compassion and let us now traverse your land. Moshe continues with the brief history of the people of Israel that again emphasizes the difficulties that they have experienced. Verse 15. Our ancestors went down to Egypt and we dwelt in Egypt for many days. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and with our ancestors. 
ונצעק אל אדוני וישמע קולנו, וישלח מלאך ויוציאנו ממצרים, והנה אנחנו וקדש עיר קצי גבוליך. We cried out to God and he heard our voice. He sent a messenger and he took us out of Mitzrayim. Behold, we are now at Kadesh, the city on the edge of your border. Naberana ve'artzecha, lo na'avor besadeh uvecherem velo nishtem mei ve'er derech ha'melech nelech, lo niteh yamin u'smol ad asher na'avor givulecha. Please let us pass through your land. We will not turn through a field or a vineyard. We will not drink the water of your cisterns. We will go upon the king's way. We will turn neither to the right nor to the left until we traverse your borders. Essentially, Moshe is saying, Edom, you are our brethren and our kin. Please recall our bonds and have compassion upon us. Recall that we were slaves in the land of Egypt and how much we have suffered. Allow us to pass through your land. We will not damage and we will not harm. We will simply take the highway, the king's way, until we successfully pass through. This Derech HaMelech, or King's Highway, that Moshe refers to is an ancient route that passed through the land of Edom and continued on the eastern side of the Jordan River through the Transjordanian highlands, eventually meeting up with Damascus in the north. By taking the King's Highway, Moshe hopes to save hundreds of kilometers of journeying through the wilderness and the desert. Instead of taking a difficult path through inhospitable terrain, Moshe requests the Edomites to allow his people to travel along the well-trodden path. In contrast with Moshe's lengthy and impassioned request of the king of Edom, his response is curt and pointed. Verse number 18. The king of Edom responded, You will not traverse through my territory, lest I come to meet you with the sword. Edom therefore rebuffs Moshe's request and threatens violence against them should they dare to enter his territory. But the messengers persist. Perhaps this is a second group of messengers which is sent in verse 19, or perhaps it is the continued conversation of the first group. The people of Israel said to him, We will take the well-paved route, and if we drink from your water, whether people or our flocks, 
We will pay for that water. There is nothing, no reason to refuse us to let you pass through our, to, to ref, there is no reason for you to refuse to let us pass through your territory. The people of Israel therefore reinforce the idea that they mean the Edomites no harm. They simply request safe, ter safe passage through their territory. A simple move would save the people of Israel hundreds of kilometers of travail. But the Edomites will not be moved. Verse number 20 is even shorter. Vayomer lo ta'avor. The Edomites responded, you will not pass. Vayetze edom likrato be'am kaved uviyad chazaka. The Edomites went out to meet the people of Israel with a large group of people and with a show of force. Vayimaen edom netonet Yisrael avor bigvulo. Vayet Yisrael me'alav. Edom thus refused to allow the people of Israel to pass through their borders, and the people of Israel turned away from them. In sum total, we might say that the passage highlights Edom's traditional hostility. Throughout the books of the Hebrew Bible, there is a hostile relationship between the people of Israel and the Edomites, dating back to the strained relationship between Yaakov and Esav. This, however, was an opportunity for the Edomites to show their compassion and their generousness of spirit. They stood to lose nothing in allowing the people of Israel to travel through their land. In fact, they would have gained because the people of Israel were prepared to pay for any provisions which they would need. The Edomite refusal is therefore nothing more or less than mean-spiritedness and a lack of sympathy and compassion. In the end, the people of Israel are forced to take a much longer route, and this they do in order to avoid conflict. Remarkably, in Sefer Devarim, Moshe recalls these events differently. And this time, the Edomites' behavior is favorable. In chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 of the book of Devarim, no Edomite refusal is recorded. And in chapter, chapter 2, verse 29 of Sefer Devarim, Moshe even implies that the Edomites offered food and water and even perhaps passage. Chapter 2 relates that God told the people of Israel that they would be traversing Edomite territory. God warns the people of Israel against provocation. He indicates that if they need provisions, they will buy them, whether food or water. 
And the text records in verse number 8 of chapter 2, We passed by our brothers, the descendants of Esav who dwelt in Seir, and we continued our journey. When Moshe later recalls his attempt to secure passage through the land of Sichon, he indicates to Sichon that the people of Israel are once again prepared to pay for their provisions. Verse 28 of chapter 2 of Devarim has Moshe tell Sichon, Rak simply allow me to pass through. Verse 29 relates, As the descendants of Esav did for me, those that dwell in Seir, as well as the Moabites who dwell in Ar until I pass through. Therefore, in this recollection, it seems as if the Edomites did in fact show sympathy towards the people of Israel, behave compassionately, sell them provisions, and perhaps even allow them to traverse their territory unmolested. It is the Rashbam, Rabbi Shimuel ben Meir, who solves the discrepancy the most convincingly and most actually elegantly. does not refer to the same group of people as our text refers to. Rashbam relates, in Sefer Devarim, we speak about Bnei Esav, the children of Esav, who dwell in Seir. In our version of the story, we speak about the Edomites and the king of Edom. While it is the case that Esav is Edom, and Esav and Edom, who are synonymous, dwell in Mount Seir, as we learn in Sefer Breshit. At the same time, the Rashbam detects the possibility of different populations within the group. As he puts it, those that dwelt in Seir and were happy to sell provisions to the people of Israel and perhaps even to allow them to traverse their land, Lo otan edom likrat Yisrael. These are not the same as the Edomites recorded in our section that went out to meet the people of Israel with the sword. And in fact, that being the case, if Rashbam is correct, then the Sefer Devarim version, which Moshe recalls, offers us a more redeeming conclusion to the story. While it might be the case that the Edomites, headed by their king, had no sympathy and no compassion for the people of Israel, those that dwelt in Seir, who were effectively the same ethnic group, decided to behave differently. If then the message is quite clear, People can choose to do what is right, even if their leadership or the official policy that their leadership offers is wrong. Certainly there is no illegality in allowing safe passage to a tired people to save them much time and effort 
so that they can reach their destination. The king of Edom and the Edomites may have demonstrated cruelty and hardness of heart, but there were those that dwelt in Seir that were descended from Esav that were much more compassionate. And Moshe recalls them in favorable terms. The people now take their leave from the Edomites and they travel from Kadesh. Verse 22 relates, Vayavavu v'nei Yisrael kol ha'eda hor ha'har The people arrive at Mount Hor and Hashem speaks to Moshe and Aharon behor ha'har on the border of the land of Edom saying, verse number 24, Ye'asef Aharon el amav let Aharon be gathered unto his people, which is an idiom meaning to die. He will not enter the land which I gave to the people of Israel, because you rebelled against my word at Meimeriva. Take Aharon and Elazar his son and cause them to ascend Mount Hor. Cause Aharon to remove his garments and you will clothe Elazar his son in them. Aharon will be gathered and there he will die. In this section, God indicates not only that Aharon will die, but that his son Elazar will succeed him as high priest and will don the garments of his father even as Aharon looks on before his demise. Moshe does as instructed in verse 27. Vaya'as Moshe kasher tziva Adonai, vaya'alu el hor ha'har le'enei kol ha'eda. Moshe did as God commanded him, and they ascended Mount Hor in front in the presence of all of the congregation. This is not to be a private affair, with Aharon spirited away from the people, but in fact they are to be aware of his imminent death Vayafshet Moshe et Aharon et begadav, vayalbesh otam et Elazar beno, vayamot Aharon sham berosh ha'har, vayered Moshe ve Elazar min ha'har. Moshe caused Aharon to remove his garments, and he clothed Elazar his son in them. Aharon died there, at the summit of the mountain, and Moshe and Elazar descended from the mountain. Thus, the people of Israel take their leave of Aharon as he ascends Mount Hor with Moshe and Elazar his son. Aharon looks on, even as his vestments are removed, the vestments of the high priest, he sees his own son clothed in them to succeed him and he dies. Moshe and Elazar 
then descend alone. Rashi offers an imagery of Aharon's death, which is the ultimate expression of a peaceful passing. As Rashi describes, Amarlo in verse 26, Moshe said to Aharon, Enter the cave. And he entered. In the cave, he saw a bed which was prepared and a candle which was lit. Amarlo, alela mita, he said to Aharon, Ascend upon the bed. And he ascended. Peshotiyadecha, relax and unclench your hands. And he relaxed them. Close your mouth, and he closed it. Atsom einecha ve'atsam. Close your eyes, and he closed them. And then God took his soul away. Miyad chamad Moshe le'otamita. At that time, Moshe desired to die precisely the same kind of death. And in fact, his wish will be granted at the end of Sefer Devarim. When God says to him, you will die just as your son, just as your brother Aharon died, the very same death that you desired. Therefore, not only does Aharon merit to see his son succeed him before he passes on, but he leaves this world peacefully, with no pain, with no suffering, and in full possession of his faculties. This Forno adds a penetrating remark. He says the following, when Moshe was commanded to remove or to cause Aharon to remove his garments, only the garments of the high priest were implied. But Aharon's garments that he would wear as a regular priest he was to keep on. The high priest essentially wore eight garments, four of them undergarments, and two of them garments that were worn on top. The undergarments consisted of ketonet, avnet, michnasayim, umigba'at, a tunic, and a belt, pants, and a mitre, a hat. And in addition, the high priest wore four other garments, the choshen and the ephod, the me'il and the tzitz, the breastplate, and the apolets with the onyx stones, the sky blue mantle, and the golden diadem upon which was inscribed Kodesh Lashem, holy unto God. Now the four outer garments of the high priest highlighted precious materials, especially gold. The four undergarments were simple linen. The Sforno says essentially that Aharon is to, is to divest himself of his golden garments that speak to his position of authority and royalty in this world but to remain clothed in his four undergarments made out of white linen, a simple material that, of course, 
recalls the shrouds of the dead, but also recall the garments worn by the high priest when he did his special service on Yom HaKippurim, on the Day of Atonement. The Sforno on verse 26 relates, Uvechen nishar aharon ba'arba'a bigde kohen hediot. Thus, at the time of his death, Aharon remains clothed with the four garments associated with a simple priest, the one who wears garments of linen. Kamo shahaya inyano bihikanes lifnai vilifnim, just as he would have worn when he entered into the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, and just as the holy angels appear to God's prophets. In essence, the Sforno implies that as Aharon prepares to die, it is analogous to the entry of the high priest into the Holy of Holies. He will encounter the presence of God. And there is no better way to do so than clothed simply and humbly as he surrenders his soul. The garments of gold thus fall away, as do all the trappings of this world, as Zaharon leaves it and encounters Hashem in a journey not unlike the journey of the high priest who enters into the Holy of Holies. In essence, taken together, Aharon merits not only to have the precious opportunity of surveying his life and its accomplishments before leaving them behind forever, but to essentially observe his own funeral while he was yet alive. Effectively, the passage describes all of the trappings of a well-attended burial processional loving family is present, there are tearful mourners as the people of Israel take their leave, and even a detached eulogy provided by the narration. But the difference is that the deceased is not yet gone. We can almost see the entire congregation of Israel gathering to escort him on his final way. We can see his beloved brother Moshe, who had stood by his side since the time of the Exodus, now leading him as they ascended the mountain for the last time. We can see his precious son Elazar, now to become his successor, as he accompanies the two on the final journey. And yet Aharon is fully cognizant, in possession of all of his faculties. He transfers his illustrious responsibilities, symbolized by the golden garments, to his own son. The Torah records no final words that Aharon uttered as he left this world behind. But under the circumstances, no words would have been necessary or even appropriate. The entire episode unfolds in profound silence as the three take their leave from the people and the people look on in sadness and in gratitude.
No doubt they reach out to touch him as he floats by them, led away by some mysterious necessity. His eyes meet theirs and fill with tears, but sad and knowing smiles are simultaneously exchanged. For almost 40 years, Aharon had served the people. Occasionally he had faltered and he had failed them in the process, but he had always recovered their trust because he truly had their best interests at heart. He leaves them and reunites with his God, satisfied with his accomplishments in this world, possessed of his people's love and respect, and secure in the knowledge that his own son will perpetuate his legacy. What more could any person desire when they must leave this world? The text concludes that when all the congregation saw that Aharon had died, Vayivku et Aharon shloshim yom kol Beit Yisrael. The people cried and mourned for Aharon for 30 days. That is the entire people of Israel. And Rashi, quoting a Midrash, offers us this parting image. Who cried for Aharon? All the people, the men and the women, the young and the old, the powerful people and those that were powerless because Aharon was Rodef Shalom, a pursuer of peace, one who brought love between those that were in strife, between a husband and a wife, between friends and between fellows. Aharon's role in the story was to be a man of peace, as the Mishnah in Avot recommends. Be from the students of Aharon, Ohev Shalom, Virodef Shalom, one who loves peace and one who pursues peace, which is to say, makes the efforts to achieve it. Ohev et habriot, umekarvan la Torah. Be one who loves other people, and in so doing, brings them closer to the Torah.